Welcome to the Bellew Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Nick Burgess. Now, we've been talking recently on this podcast about themes, sector themes, themes that are driving the economy, driving the market, driving the recovery. And today we've got a big one, actually a big one, the payment sector, more specifically the buy now, pay later sector. So that's right, Afterpay and all its friends. So Afterpay and the buy now, pay later sector, we'll look at what it is, how it works, and we'll try and make sense of some of those share price moves. We're also going to answer your questions. We've got a whole host of questions that we've had from the ELNC Bailiw Advisor Network and Private Client Network. Um, so we're going to answer those as well. And to help us out, we have one of Australia's leading fund managers. I'm delighted to welcome June Bailu, Portfolio Manager at Tribeca Investment Partners, a leading boutique fund manager in Australia. So welcome to the Bailey Podcast, June Bay. Nick, great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Hey, so just before we get started into our topic, tell us a little bit about your firm, Tribeca. Of course. Look, Tribeca is a Aussie-based, a Sydney-based fund manager started in the late 90s. Uh, we specialise in uh, domestic equities, Aussie equities, and we more recently have branched out into uh, the global resources as well as the credit funds. Now, the core flagship um, fund um, is the one I run called Tribeca Alpha Plus Fund. Um, currently runs, uh, it's a longshore fund. It has about uh, just over $750 million. Um, this fund has been running for more than 12, 13 years, I think. Uh, and uh, we're the top ranked um, domestic fund manager, according to the Mercer survey. So yeah, we'll be around for a long time and we're active investors and we, you know, loving the current market condition. Great. Well, I'll ask you a little bit about uh, the fund um, later on, but our topic for discussion today, as we mentioned, is the buy now, pay later sector. Now, just to frame it up for our listeners, this is a big area and a growing area of the economy and the listed environment. So for a bit of context, the leader in this space is a name that everybody knows, and that's Afterpay. It's been reinventing payments with lay-by style proposition to customers. And of course, there are now other similar providers in this space, both here and overseas. And if you listen to any of these providers, they'll tell you that over the last five years, the use of cash by consumers has reduced significantly. And that's been replaced by the use of debit cards and buy now, pay later systems. Meanwhile, the number of credit cards and their use is either flatlining or actually declining significantly depending on the exact stat and the market you're talking about. And of course, as often happens in economics, it's a confluence of events that is driving changes to consumer behaviour. So demographics are a key here with millennials favouring these new methods. By now, pay later is obviously enabled by technology adoption. And then more recently, it seems the COVID pandemic and the move to online shopping seems to have been a major catalyst for the uptake of buy now, pay later offerings as well. And we'll get more on that later from Jumbay. Um, but to prove the point, I guess we lead, need look no further than Afterpay itself. Um, since the market lows in March, Afterpay's share price is up about 750% from about $9 to just under $75 today. It happens to be the fourth best performing stock in the ASX's All Ordinaries Index over that time. Its market cap now at $22 billion is nearly half the size of NAB or West Farmers, businesses that have been around for decades. And interestingly, two other payment providers are on that list of best performing stocks as well. 
those being sizzle and split it. So there's a lot going on in this sector. It's very topical. So here's what we're going to do. With Joombase help, we're going to take a closer look at the sector, including two of the leading providers in Afterpay and Zip, and then we're going to answer some of those questions from the Value Advisor Network. Joombay, there's a right. lot going on. Let's go through the basics first. How do you, as an investment manager, as a portfolio manager, how do you conceptually approach the payments and buy now, pay later sector? Look, I think um, as an investor that we open to um, you know, many different sectors, not just value or growth. Um, you know, we're just going after whatever the opportunity is. Um, so when we look at the high growth opportunity, a high growth sector, uh, such as the payment space, um, you know, we look at the ultimate addressable market and how replicable, how replicable is this business model in different markets and how well has the company been executing. Um, so, you know, with Afterpay, we actually have followed this company for a very long time. Um, um, and, uh, you know, we've been shareholders for many years. Um, gosh, it was a roller coaster ride <laughs> for, um, you know, for being the shareholder. But, you know, it was a sign that, um, you know, the sector was going through very rapid growth. And it was a sign that it was slowly, um, you know, growing out of that innovation uh, sort of phase and then, um, you know, built its scale into the next level. So Afterpay um, was incredibly exciting when we first looked at it. Um, you know, it innovated this whole, um, you know, buy now, pay later sector. Now, like you said before, this sector is not new. You know, it's it's been around for a very long time. But the main difference uh, where Afterpay did it so differently is that everything was very seamless and everything is almost, I think almost 100% of the way was uh, was uh, automated from the time when customers sign up to the time when customer purchase um, and then to the time when the merchant pays Afterpay. So, you know, everything's automated, which means it's seamless, it's fast. And also at the same time, it provides a lower cost option um, to customers and and it provides a um, you know strong incentive for those customers to spend at the retail register um, so you know we'll run through their business model um, you know in detail in a sec um, but to us this space is incredibly exciting it's very new that's why the market they, they perpetually look expensive those players um, and you know how many times we have seen analysts upgrading uh, afterpay's earnings and outlook um, simply because we just couldn't keep up. We couldn't comprehend um, how much market share they could, um, you know, they could gain. And so far, they have beat expectations um, every time. So, you know, incredibly exciting space. There's a huge proliferation of um, other players, uh, like you said, Afterpay Friends. Um, there's a lot of competition coming in, but the market is, um, they are only just scratching the market, particularly in other markets like US, like UK, Canada or Europe. So, incredibly exciting space that we uh, we love to have some of those companies in our portfolio and we always do allocate some of those risk to those space. So in terms of um, from your perspective sort of scoping the market opportunity how, how do you have a sense of in Australia or even globally how big that potential opportunity is and and any sense of what penetration rates are currently for the for this new wave of buy now pay later players? Yeah, of course. Look, companies do discuss them and they can collect information from other areas. So the penetration of afterpay service is closer to 10% in Australia, whereas uh, in the US, it's just closer to uh, about 1%. So, you know, huge amount of difference. Um, and 
actually, I should take a step back when we talk to, you know, the, this penetration, um, you know, just to demonstrate their growth. Afterpay, the service like Afterpay is um, – uh, because it offers such value to the customers, to the merchants, um, and to everyone involved in that chain, um, there's a huge demand for it. So the minute it reached um, the penetration of one, two, three percent, um, then you see that hockey stick of adoption because of word of mouth, um, because you know, uh, um, you know, essentially people, the millennials that's been using it, telling all their friends about it, and then suddenly you have a huge wave of uh, new new customers signing up, and we've seen that significant hockey stick took place in Australia and now we're seeing that taking place in US where uh, the second market after pay has chosen to go into I guess um, very important to actually talk to how does after pay make money to to really understand why does it exist and you know what what value does it offer and why do people want it um, so you know after after pay is actually interesting it makes money by charging a merchant a small fee and usually around 4% um, for that fee. Um, and, um, and it doesn't actually charge. So there's no interest rate uh, for the actual customer who's using it unless, you know, there's a late fee if you don't pay it by time, uh, in time, and then, you know, you pay a late fee. And that is capped at a certain amount as well. So it's a very small portion relative to the overall transaction. So essentially, Afterpay is um, uh, the, the people that's paying Afterpay is the merchant. But the service that Afterpay offer is convenience in transaction for the customer. You know, one click, it's all done and you can get the goods you want and then it gets transacted very quickly. And then for the merchant, you know, you increase the conversion. People are ready to spend at the register um, straight away and it take, take no more than four seconds for that to go through once someone already have an account. So it's win-win almost for both parties. Um, and um, and then for Afterpay, because this model is very high turnover, so people, on average, people spend about $120, $140 uh, per transaction. And, uh, and then you pay it back in two to four weeks. Um, and then people use it again. So every time when someone uses it again, um, their revenue share goes up. So Afterpay is incredible effective model to um, to create that constant usage and then generate that um, you know word of mouth growth so that's the that's the revenue model that's the proposition to customers and the proposition to 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 merchants as you say so just so we understand so so if if people don't pay on time uh, after pay um, then charges some late fees from a business perspective and I guess from a more of a traditional sort of credit perspective who mm-hmm. who chases up that 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 bad debt and and who ultimately pays for that yeah so um, when there's late fee is the customer that pay for the late fee um, so so after pays um, model is that it's more self-regulating so if the customer doesn't repay you know the payment that is due um, they're not allowed to use it again and as we talked to before it's People keep using afterpay services. So, um, you know, if you don't pay it back, you can't use it again. So it's very much just self-regulated. Um, there's no one going after the bad debt simply because when people don't pay, they cut it off. Uh, so it's a pretty straightforward type of uh, model. And afterpay's product, interestingly, it's uh, it's actually not fallen under the credit product or services code um, simply because, you know, it's, it's slightly different from the credit where you lend it to people, you charge interest. Um, Afterpay doesn't charge interest. Um, they do charge a late fee, uh, late fee, but that late fee is capped and now is increasingly becoming smaller part of components of the earning now. 
So Afterpay, so market cap of about $22 billion, as we've mentioned. Um, they've got a, an established business in Australia. They've also entered, as you've mentioned, Jumbay, the US. They're entering in the UK. They're launching in Canada, Europe and Asia. They've got 10 million customers worldwide. Um, they've doubled their revenue in the last 12 months, and I think market consensus expects them to come close to doing that again in FY21 or up certainly 75 or 80%. Um, What's your assessment of how the, the, the global rollout of this model is going? Uh, our, our assessment is going very, very well. Of course, this um, COVID-related lockdown and you know people forced to shop online more definitely helps and pull forward um, the structural shift to online spending. Um, but what it is is increasing awareness, uh, especially for new markets like the US. Um, and once you reach um, certain amount of audience or the active user, um, then you'll see the hockey stick I talked to, um, you know, uh, based upon uh, word of mouth, you know, the millennials tell their friends about it, and then there'll be more people use it. You know, just want to give you an example. Um, when they first went to the US, um, analysts put out forecast, um, you know, initially it was very conservative forecast based on the adoption out of Australia. And then they started adding, you know, 300,000 um, new user uh, a month in the in the US. And the analysts go, okay, that's fantastic. Let's put 300,000. Analysts just put flat 300,000 per month, um, you know, uh, going forward. And then it became 600,000 user, um, you know, per month. Um, and everyone's put 600,000. Then it becomes 700,000 user per month. And then everyone upgrade their numbers. So as you can see, generally, analysts are not very good in estimating a lot of high growth company, particularly um, the pioneering company like this one. So, you know, and then so far, all we can see is increasing acceleration in adoption. And we do see that penetration should pick up rapidly, um, you know, from here on in the US. They just launched in Canada. We shouldn't expect um, it will experience anything different. They are now already in UK. They've done good numbers um, and they just made a small acquisition in Europe um, looking to launch over there. And recently they just also bought a small business out of Singapore um, and potentially assessing, you know, what they could do in the um, in Asian uh, in the Asian country. But that one, that market is not yet definitive, really. The business Afterpay wants to learn more about that market um, before making further investments. So to us, um, they've demonstrated they're doing really well and they demonstrated the need and the demand for this product is incredible. Um, and we do give them credit for some of those new markets they're going to. So if I look at consensus, Jumbei, um, it looks like that the market is expecting its first profit this year, reasonably modest profit, and then something more material next year. When do you expect the, the first meaningful profit for the, for the company? Yeah, I think you need to, uh, we do expect it's coming more or less similar to consensus, a little bit sooner than consensus. Um, but do remember, we keep talking to, you know, for this business, it's about grabbing those growth. Um, once you become entrenched in a market, um, it's incredibly difficult to dislodge. Um, and for this business, it's still, I, our view is that it's still 
uh, is at its infancy of growth um, for this whole entire buy now pay later space. They are very, very still very early stage in terms of the global adoption. So on these bases, we do believe they should continue to invest and grow and capture those markets um, because once they mature, if you look at Australia, Australia is profitable. Um, you know, if you stop investing in the US or other markets, you will make much bigger profit. But the idea is to replicate this model into other markets, grab market share, and you know, generally in those digital um, or a digital growth space, only the top one or two uh, players that makes it. You know, across you know last uh, couple of decades. So you know, just as an example, you want to be the leading player in those markets, um, and then from then on, you can build your profitability. And um, you know, the COVID experience has there been any anything that that you've seen that's put any holes in the story from a from a credit perspective, from um, you know bad debt perspective, anything like that that we would expect with a you know a big uh, economic interruption into the business model. Yeah, what's interesting was the reason share price uh, in March, afterpay share price in March went to close to $8 was that there was a lot of fear that, um, you know, the falling, uh, well, the as the global economy heading into recession, um, the credit cycle is going to worsen and the like. And, uh, you know, what's going to happen to a new business model like this one? Because we haven't really seen it being tested during uh, any recession. Uh, so I think the experience was actually incredibly phenomenal that uh, to be to the contrary of most of the investors expectation of being impact from the corona is actually being a substantial pull forward in growth. I think they benefited, they have benefited from, um, you know, people are not allowed to go, or, or people being locked in their houses. Um, so um, they've done incredible amount of online shopping, which we have seen, <laughs> we have seen from a lot of online retailers as well. All of that has meant that people are absolutely uh, absolutely spending more on the online and finding it incredibly easy to spend online. Afterpay's business model is very much skewed to the e-commerce space. That's where they that's where they were born and that's where we first started off. Um, and in the US, they pretty much all 100% online at the moment. COVID actually, in a way, has slowed down um, because of disruption of the shops, slowed down the offline adoption. Um, but, you know, when that does come back, we expect the offline adoption to pick up quite quickly in the shops as well. All right, so that's that's Afterpay. Um, I'm keen to move on to to Zipco, which uh, I guess is in the same sector, a similar a similar stock or a similar company. It's a lot smaller. Um, it's got a market cap of 3.2 billion, um, but a lot of its business is in the buy now pay later space. It's got businesses in Australia, New Zealand, the UK, US, and South Africa. Um, from your perspective, Jim Bay, Zip Zipco, how is it different to Afterpay? Yeah, Zip is, uh, there's a slight difference is that Zip actually has a credit product. Um, so part of Zip, um, they actually offer, uh, in a digital format, they offer um, a lending product. So people can actually use Zip to purchase things up to uh, $10,000. Um, and uh, and then it gets, um, you know, there'll be a traditional interest rate applied and the like. So that is a key difference. Um, so in a way, the capital of Zip doesn't turn as quickly. What that means is 
is that you lend out this $10,000 and it takes longer to get paid back uh, compared to Afterpay. You know, you lend out $140 and uh, people pay it back within two weeks and then you use it again. So it's highly efficient. But Zip has made uh, an incredible acquisition into the U.S. Um, the CorePay now has given its um, very good foothold now into the U.S. market as well. So, you know, on that basis, we do believe that, um, you know, Zip is well um, on its way to capitalize, um, you know, on that wave to shift into um, into that uh, buy now, pay later space. Um, and, um, and I think what's also quite interesting is that, you know, both of the companies in the last 12 months, we've seen uh, meaningful investments um, coming out of, you know, corporate players into this space, as well as Silicon Valley, you know, the Silicon Valley investors into uh, Zip and, uh, and then the, ten, uh, the Tencent into Afterpay. So, you know, what that what that suggests to us, indicate to us is that, you know, there is a, um, you know, meaningful amount of interest into this space. Um, and if we look at how much money has been raised globally in that um, by now pay later space, certainly uh, suggesting that increased um, uh, attention by global investors. Okay, so if we think about um, Jumbo, we think about Zip and we think about Afterpay, from a merchant perspective, um, am I likely, if I'm a merchant, am I likely to um, to want or need to have both providers um, on my books? Would I choose one? Would I have, you know, a handful of them? How does it, how does the market settle from a merchant perspective, do you think? Honestly, I think as a merchant, you happy you will pick uh, the top couple because you want to offer as many payment system as possible. Well, first of all, um, you want to offer as many payment flexibility to the customer as possible because you don't want the final payment point to be the sticking point because the fact someone walk into your shop, have a look at your things and want to buy it and then payment is where they go is too hard. That's the last thing you want. So the idea is to make it easy, make it seamless. So Zip and Afterpay now almost everywhere in Australia. So penetration is similar. Zip is catching up, of course. Um, and uh, But Zip is in slightly different area given they go, go higher value. Um, but for the merchant, you absolutely will take a top couple put on your list um you know some merchants these days do show there's a couple more that you can add on to it um but my view is that ultimately it's about who can provide the scale um and who gets demanded more by the customer um you know will get included in those payment options and in terms of cost it's very similar all right so they're the two they're the two stocks um Jumbe, um and you like them both so perhaps at this point it's just worth um speaking just a couple of points about the sort of specific things that you look for when you're investing in a, in a growth stock like uh, these buy now pay later in terms of your investment process specifically what are the positive characteristics that you like to look out for yeah I think it's um, that's a really good question Nick I think the most the most key is to first need to work out why does that company um, exist? You know, what's its pur- what's its purpose? Um, and what does it serve its customer? And is it easy to use? So something about the product needs to have that strong pull from its customers, from its users and everyone. So something unique about that uh, that company is incredibly important. Um, I think people talk to a motor. So something unique about that business is incredibly important. Then we look to um, its execute or well, its end market. Um, you know, how big is the end market because yeah it's it's fine that you have amazing product but the market is tiny and it's niche and it's going to cost a lot of money to get there then you reassess how much you pay for those businesses so end market um end addressable market is incredibly important so then you establish as a good business great business so unique and then it's got great ultimate future 
And then you look into the team, the management team. Have they executed um, on, you know, what they've done so far? You know, is the business model really sound? For a business like that, um, it requires management vision um, and uh, strong execution to really get it there um, uh, for, you know, young business like, uh, like Afterpay. Um, yeah, so these are some of the key metrics we look for. Yeah, okay. And I, I guess your job at the end of the day is to add all of those factors up into some sort of a evaluation. So when these businesses, um, Afterpay and, and Zip, aren't making profits or certainly not making meaningful profits at this point, how do you a- approach them from a valuation perspective? Look, with growth companies, you can't look at um, the earnings in year one or two. Um, they are, it is just too soon because um, ultimately it's about the growth. That's what you're trying to buy. Um, so you definitely have to look at, use a valuation model that address the growth in five to 10 years. Um, make a call on where they might be in five, 10 years. Um, that's why when I talk to the ultimate addressable market and their execution, um, it's incredibly important because in five years, I expect them to get to, you know, so say, you know, 7% the US, um, penetration US and, you know, whatever amount in the UK, Canada, potentially a little bit Asia, you need to make those assumptions um, and then come up with a valuation that is, uh, you know, that, that is taking um, all of these into account. Also, you need to remember now the interest rate around the world is going lower and lower, the bond yield, if you like. Yep. Um, what, why is that important? That's important because that uh, increases the value for growth companies um, or growth sectors such as this one. Um, because when you do your valuation, you have to discount the future value uh, based on the bond yield. And the lower it goes, the higher the valuation. That's why we're seeing a huge rally now in the last many years because of the lower interest rate, the lower for longer thematic that is going on. And and just on valuation, um, even, um, I, I suppose for you, given the share price moves that we've seen, particularly for Afterpay, but Zip and others have been very strong as we've discussed. From a valuation perspective, Jumbei, you like these two business models and and their um, and their prospects. With the share prices doing what they've do, what they've done, e- even for you, um, have you seen that things have, have got a little hot over the last uh, let's say couple of months? Uh, we de- we definitely seen that absolutely. Um, when you, we start noticing there's a lot of retail participation in some of the smaller names, uh, we know the sector is getting quite hot. Um, you know, it doesn't mean uh, it changes our long term view of the business. It just does mean that uh, in the short term, maybe there's it can be a little bit tactical, just taking a little bit of profit off the table. But look. Our view is that this month, you know, we're already seeing a bit of sell-off across this entire sector. Um, our view is that, you know, with those quality growth companies that you do have to uh, step in whenever there's a sell-off. So we said at the start, Jimbei, we wanted to um, to bust some myths and ask you some questions that have come from the um, from the ELNC Bailey Network. So a few different categories. Firstly, the the, the merchant margin or the, the revenue margin. So as you've mentioned, Jimbei, um, a majority of um, Afterpay and others, the rev- revenue comes from the merchant margin. So the retailer pays Afterpay a percentage of the purchase and then takes uh, the the risk of, of those payments, if you like. Um, and as you said, it's uh, for Afterpay in particular, the margin is just below 4%, 3.9%, I, I think you yeah. mentioned. So you know, how sustainable are these margins? And if we look at equivalent margins for credit cards at you know maybe 1% to 2%, is that a relative... Is that a fair comparison and, and how sustainable are the, the margins that say an afterpay is taking in your view? 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good question. Look, we do see um, th- there's been predictions um, of that margin coming off over the last many years. Um, you know, really ever since the afterpay uh, model was gaining traction. Now. That margin has sustained in Australia, even with high penetration, even with amount of um, you know new launch of different buy now pay later products, and the margin is sustaining at that level. Now, one thing we do need to think about is that um, so this four percent margin, uh, that's the gross transaction margin. Then Afterpay makes a four percent, and then they pay. Um, something like 1.7% um, to, you know, if it's a debit or credit card repayment uh, to the debit or credit card company. Now, that cost um, for transaction will start it to come off um, simply because Afterpay is getting bigger, getting more powerful, they get better deals. Um, and then you compare to what they pay for if someone paying um, their Afterpay bill with their savings account, that's only 10 basis points. So the gap is enormous. So we know that cost, the direct cost will come off. So even if your overall gross margin potentially in the future might come off a little bit, um, you should see that net margin may not actually be that impacted that much just simply because um, overall cost of transaction will start to come off. Yeah, okay. And so that net margin is what somewhere between two and two and a half percent generally? Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to, to the second area of question is is regulatory risk. How do you assess regulatory risk? I think as you've said earlier, the buy now, pay later segment, avoid um, the responsible lending regulation in Australia because they're not generally not deemed as, as credit providers or certainly um, at this point um, after pay is not. So what's your view on the future of regulation for this sector? Look, I... So Afterpay actually has gone through this whole regulatory and Senate review um, of, you know, of this new sector. Um, and um, and then, it, you know, the conclusion was that they are not a credit product. So I always like this line that Afterpay talked to that uh, it's interesting, you know, when you when you actually think about it, what is a credit product? Credit card companies or credit product, you make money when people fail to make their payments. Yeah, you charge interest. That's how you make money. Whereas Afterpay makes money when people actually do repay their, um, you know, their bills. Um, so it's the merchant that pays Afterpay. And if people don't pay their bill, don't repay their bill, they actually cut it, get cut it off. So there's a slight difference in actually what credit Afterpay product is. It's almost like a marketing platform, if you like, for the merchant, like a market, like a, a service platform for the merchants. Um, then it is likely a credit product. But stepping from that, I do think that um, you know that industry will mature. You will have more, perhaps more regulation to want to cover this space. Um, Afterpay has gone through many markets that have gone through this, and then they have, um, you know, m- many of most of them have come through and saying, look, it's fine. Um, and uh, and I think, you know, just sign of maturity for those sectors that um, over the years that you will get more regulation. And that is uh, that is really healthy for, um, you know, for that industry, because last thing you want is that you start having all these, um, what do you call a rogue companies start offering, you know, buy now, pay later services across everything and, um, you know, and to become ir- very irresponsible in um, who they offer to and the like. And then it become uh, a real problem for the industry. So actually it will be welcome if in the future there will be a bit more guideline, but Afterpay has gone through really many markets on, you know, what this product is and it's been deemed as, uh, uh, as you know, the way it is. 
And to wrap some numbers around what you're saying, um, I think the current stat for Afterpay is that 85% of their revenue comes from the merchant fee and only about 15% from late fees, whereas for uh, credit cards, it, you know, the ratio is reversed even if not even more aggressively, sort of 85, 90% of, of revenue. That's actually really interesting just on that late fee because um, when Afterpay, when you think about it, late fee, they, the reason they charge a late fee is an incentive for people to actually make the payment because if you don't have a late fee, then what's the incentive? Um, and as Afterpay grows bigger, um, the late fee will become smaller and smaller part of that overall um, overall revenue. I remember a few years ago, maybe one year ago, late fee was 30%. Um, but now that they doubled and tripled um, their uh, overall revenue, this has become much, much a smaller component. So Afterpay's... Um, future revenue growth is not going to come from that lay fee. And they, that's why they capped it as well. So, um, yeah, so that's the difference. Yeah, okay. Now, uh, Jimmy, time is getting away from us because there is so much yes. to talk about in this uh, in this sector. Just a couple of last questions. So competition, how do you assess the competitive environment? Um, and, and I guess, you know, from a, a competition perspective, how do you review, um, how do you view credit card providers? Yeah, sure. Uh, so look, credit card providers, um, they, on the surface, they are competition because it's a form of digital payment. However, what we have viewed is that in, you know, what's been happening is the credit card companies are actually partnering up with all the, you know, the top uh, players in this uh, buy now, pay later space, simply because, um, you know, one is that buy now, pay later is now actually using quite a large portion, providing a large portion of the transaction for those credit card companies. Uh, so they actually become customers. Two is that, um, you know, this partnership um, that, uh, that that can be formed uh, that's mutually beneficial to both, um, you know, in the way that, so say Afterpay, if they want access to uh, places where they don't have infrastructure, they can utilize um, the credit card infrastructure across, you know, almost um, everywhere because credit card infrastructure is everywhere. So that is very beneficial for Afterpay and the others. So, yeah, so, you know, the way I see it is that, yes, there will always be um, a level of com competitive tension there, but um, if anything, the, the, the current uh, current action of those credit card companies that they're partners. Yeah, okay. And then PayPal is another that's um, mm -hmm. announced a buy now, pay later offering. How do you view that from a competitive perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Look, that's the latest new entrant. PayPal actually offered um, another product which trying to compete with that buy now, pay later space. Um, it didn't quite work out. That was last year. But now they offered one that is kind of very similar uh, to uh, to what uh, now the Afterpay product is. And of course, you know, that is not to be dismissed because PayPal is a large player, got deep pockets. Um, but look, what are you competing on? So if we look at it, um, PayPal currently charge merchant 2.7%. Uh, um, and so if we look at, you know, Afterpay saying, you know, they charge 4%. So the risk, I guess, here is that if PayPal become big enough, does that mean that merchant fee is going to start come down? There is a possibility. However, uh, aside from people predicted that merchant fee to come down in Australia, uh, even with competition heating up, it never did. Um, so put that aside. Um, PayPal has talked to before, they want to run the capitalized uh, sort of um, business model, they told all their investors. So if they got real, 
they are really going to pursue this area, they will need to offload this, take it off balance sheet and outsource it to a credit company to uh, provide the credit to to provide this, which means that 2.7% margin may not be sustainable. So they may have to raise it higher. So, you know, on these basis, we see, look, it's competition is heating up, so it should, because it's a very attractive market. Um, but it, it is still wait and see. And remember, US is a big market. Um, our penetration is only less than a percent. I just get to a percent. Um, so there's a lot of runway for you know some of those large players. And uh, and just on Afterpay particular, you mentioned before Chinese tech company Tencent owns a 5% stake that was done a few months ago in Afterpay. So what does that mean for Afterpay and the, the payment sector? I guess the, um, the question is, is there sort of corporate appeal and co- corporate potential for some of these players? Yeah, I think this is very exciting, very exciting. We feel, you know, Australians, we are so innovative, um, you know, aside from some of the healthcare and biotech businesses that we've done so well globally, and now we've got this innovative sector. Um, yes, I think the investment by the Tencent was a huge endorsement to the sector, um, you know, because it's such a young sector. And then many investors were sitting there thinking, oh, what's the real appeal and all of that. And that's just before they started demonstrating such a strong growth in the US. Um, and then, you know, then you have uh, investors, corporate investors like Tencent, um, who has a huge payment business um, across Asia, very different. But, you know, they clearly see the opportunity in sharing some of those well, opportunity in learning from each other. Um, and um, and then the same thing with the Silicon Valley investor into Zip. Um, we certainly going, we think that uh, there will be more M&A, there will be more investment. Um, there will be much more money pouring into this space over the next couple of years. There we go. The world, a very big world of the buy now, pay later sector with Jumbe Lu, Portfolio Manager at Tribeca Investment Partners. Um, her key stock picks in the sector are Afterpay and Zipco, the two market leaders, as she said. Um, she has a positive outlook on the sector and those two stocks in particular, given you know, the sheer size of the addressable market, both uh, in Australia and offshore, uh, because of their uh, replicable business models and their execution to date, um, as well as you know, the existing low penetration rates and the long runway that runway that, that potentially uh, provides the leaders in this sector over the next five to 10 years. Um, we mentioned at the top, Jimbei, that you're the portfolio manager of Tribeca's Alpha Plus Fund. Um, so this is your opportunity to tell us a little bit more about your uh, fund's performance. How have things been going for you? Oh, look, um, well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Is that the, fun, the fund has done incredibly well because we have found so many opportunities, um, both on the long and short side, um, you know, during this market sell-off as well as the next bull market. Um, you know, in the last quarter, um, on the absolute sense, we delivered over 10%, 10.95%, and that compares with the index ASX 200 return of 6%, and we outperformed by close to 5%. Um, on a 12-month basis, up to August, uh, we did um, 8%, uh, just over 8%, um, and compared to the bench return of 335 So, yes, yeah, so we're pretty happy with our performance. Um, we just believe the current market condition represents some of the most amazing um, buying opportunities, um, really, probably once in a decade sort of buying opportunity um, uh, for some of the sectors. Um, and some of those companies are still very cheap um, because, you know, many investors are just a bit too short-term at the moment. Um, we we, um, yeah, we're, we're loving this market condition. That's about it for this edition of the podcast. The easiest way to get more information on 
Tribeca Investment Partners and June Bay's Alpha Plus Fund is to speak to your financial advisor or you can go to the Tribeca website, tribecaip.com. Thank you very much to our special guest, June Bay Lou. Thank you so much, Nick. It's great to be here. Thank you. And lastly, make sure you're subscribed or follow this podcast uh, to make sure you're kept up to date with our thoughts. We're available on all the main podcast platforms and apps. And of course, don't forget to have a look at our webpage, bailu.com.au. There's videos, research reports, all sorts of things there. You can even request to speak to an advisor if you don't already have one. That's it for this episode. Thank you very much to Jumbe Lu from Tribeca. Uh, Very interesting. I thought I learned a lot. Uh, Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to The Value Podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessments about the suitability of the financial products or services mentioned.